Value Stack podcast is now sponsored by Coinbeast.com. If you need extra one-on-one time to get your Bitcoin questions answered, book a call with a Bitcoin pro at Coinbeast Connect to get expertise you need with topics ranging from security, privacy, mining, lightning network, and more. It's easy to get started. Simply go to Coinbeast.com, click connect at the top of the page, and book a call with the pro for the topic that you'd like to discuss. So uh, thank you guys at Coinbeast for sponsoring this show and um, check them out at coinbeast.com to get the Bitcoin support you need. Now, on with the show. Welcome to episode nine of the Value Stack podcast. Hola, como estas? <laughs> my name is Bo, also known as Shaper Funds, and I'm here with my esteemed co-host, BTC Bap. How are you doing today, buddy? Sunday, man. What's it? 10-10. Today's October 10th. Doing well. We're a beautiful day in Colorado, as I bet it is in Taos. We're uh we're at a block seven oh four four oh six. Seven oh four four oh six. Yeah. That's a yeah. very important block because that's the one we're doing this podcast on. We got yeah, a lot so of stuff you, to cover today. What what were you gonna say? <laughs> I, I was gonna say when you uh when you listen to this podcast years from now, you'll remember it was block seven oh four four oh six. That's right. It's the new timestamp. Uh, we're going to start referring to everything in block time instead of days. So mm. it's not that accurate if you're looking for, you know, hyper-focused timelines, but we adapt. So we've got yeah. a lot to cover today. One of the things being uh, the blocks, specifically Taproot is coming uh, in, in about 5,000 blocks uh, in a, just about a month. Uh, what what else we got packed for the listeners today, Bo? Uh, Bitcoin's trading between 55,000 and 56,000. We're uh, within an earshot of all-time highs again. That happened quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps the stock-to-flow model is still legitimate. <laughs> it's um, w- w- Would you say a close September with 43? 43 and change. So... For those, like, for those of you not familiar, stock to flow basically says for every amount, like for every supply that exists, that's the stock. Uh, there is a flow, which is the new supply that comes online. Gold has this, right? There's X amount of gold. Y amount gets mined out of the ground every year. Stock to flow. So Bitcoin has a similar concept. Total supply of Bitcoin, about 19 million right now. Uh, and the supply is about 1.8% inflation rate or the flow rather. Uh, and so... Plan B is uh, at one trillion, at one hundred trillion USD. Put this model out a while ago, and it's been tracking quite closely, and predicts Bitcoin goes to one hundred k million, ten million ultimately, uh, and, and it's based on this stock to flow. So every four years, there's a halving incident, which cuts the flow uh, in half, which increases the multiple of the stock to flow, which makes the price go up. Uh, assuming you believe that that correlates, so. Um, plan B had forecasted months and months ago that 
September, like basically the lows of where the model would close, like worst case scenarios. And September was 43K and lo and behold, it did not look like it was gonna hold up. Stock to flow has been way below the predicted price for several months now. Uh, and that was the absolute worst case scenario. And it closed right above 43 on the final day. Uh, and bullish news, uh, October, if you you know believe that this model will continue to hold up, October's lowest possible close in the stock to flow model, I think is 64,000, which is another 10 grand from here. So, you know, roughly 16%, 17% my math checks out. Um, so bullish news and December has it over hundred K. So stay tuned on that. Yeah. To put a little context on where we are in the stock to flow currently. Um, and, and I could be wrong and maybe you don't know, but the gold stock to flow, I think at the next having Bitcoin has a lower, uh, or a higher stock to flow than gold by its next having, isn't it right around the stock to flow of gold currently? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I don't remember the exact numbers, but uh, yeah, that's right. And there are averages too. So plan B does this where it's like one day stock to flow, which is like assuming the market completely realized the entire new flow rate in one day. Then there's a 10 day, maybe it's not 10, but there's different weighted averages. And so there's like a four, I think it's 400 day or I think it's a year and a half roughly. Uh, and so that shows you that this, the, that price as opposed to like the one day has the price catching up much slower. Basically it, it takes time to, uh, to work itself into its new stock to flow valuation, uh, as opposed to just flipping a switch and it all of a sudden overnight being based on the new valuation. So I think that is actually where we're closer trending. It's more of a delayed effect. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's a huge difference between Bitcoin stock to flow and gold stock to flow. Bitcoin stock to flow is virtually, it, it, it's engineered. It's, um, it's, it's predictable. You know, it's, it's predictable. Gold's stock to flow would depend on gold's price. If gold's price went significantly higher, uh, we would be supplying more of it. We'd be mining more of it. And right. uh, that would increase the, the flow. So, um, yeah, huge difference between Bitcoin and gold. And I think that was one of the actually things that once I understood, it's like, okay, you know, something Bitcoin supplies independent of demand, unlike any other thing we've had on earth before Bitcoin. That is pretty freaking cool. You know, many, many people, you know, the hot buzzwords, right? Blockchain. Uh, to me, blockchain was not the most profound, uh, real, like, invention of Bitcoin or discovery, it was the difficulty adjustment, the algorithm that makes sure that no matter how fast or how slow the blocks get created, they will always be released on a predetermined schedule. And because the supply issuance of Bitcoin is directly tied to the rate of block issuance, because the first transaction on every block is called the Coinbase transaction. And that's where the block subsidy exists. So right now the subsidy for every block is 6.25 Bitcoin. And so the way that the monetary network actually enforces its inflation rate is due to the block schedule. And the block schedule stays true no matter what due to the difficulty adjustment. So like you mentioned, if gold's price goes up, it makes otherwise unprofitable gold mining profitable. 
Uh, and that happens with Bitcoin too, except the difficulty adjustment comes in after to balance that back out. And that happens every 2,016 blocks, which is about every two weeks. Awesome. <clears throat> Drop the knowledge. All right. Also want to talk about uh, George Soros just admitted he has a position in Bitcoin. Say what you That's want surprising. about George Soros is uh, meddling in political causes around the world and all that. Um, he is a ruthless, successful value investor. Um, dubbed as the I'm man who broke. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to George. He, he's Jorge. the Bank of England guy, right? Yeah, George, the man who, yeah, man who broke the Bank of England. Um, so what, shout out to Jorge. A, do you have it? Like, can you give us like the listeners a a quick, just like a thirty second summary of like what happened there? Do you, if you know? I know he shorted the British pound into oblivion. Um, I forget what the macro environment was, or even exactly when this was, but I think it was, you know, partly when. Uh, the UK was kind of ceding power all around the world. And um, they had a few headwinds. I, I forget the details, but um, he said, I'm going to put on a huge short on the British pound. And then um, I think through kind of creating a narrative at the same time, he was uh, pushing the, the pound down. Uh, he walked mm -hmm. away with a shit ton of money. So, right. Um, yeah, and at an at the expense of uh, one of the most right. powerful countries in the world. And, and this isn't George Soros is not like a a stock trader. I mean, I'm sure he does, but his his reputation is in currency, as you mentioned. And if George Soros, like this, is not Warren Buffett buying Bitcoin, mm -hmm. that would be out of his purview of expertise. This is the currency guy. The man who broke the Bank of England, he knows a weak currency when he sees one. And if he's buying Bitcoin, I don't know, you you do the math. Uh, there's no real math to do. I mean, it, it's just like, it adds more credibility when someone with that kind of background and that kind of ruthless, um, sort of emotionless, I'm going to do whatever it is for the profit. Mm -hmm. If he's paying attention you know, like his inner circle and everybody else is too. Like, there's just no right. way. Like we keep saying this, like if you and I are aware of what's going on, there is no way that people who are more connected, more in the know with more financial resources, more people working for them, there's no way that they don't get it. The only way that they could is if they're just hubris. Like they're just, they're so stubborn that they just, can't possibly take a step back because it like co it like basically capsizes their worldview but mm -hmm. if you're that's ultra rich and powerful that may have happened a few times already in your life and that's why you're still ultra rich and powerful because you know how to adapt so i not that i want george soros to like own bitcoin i think you know bitcoin's for everybody including him unfortunately but <laughs> It, like, look what people do, you know, not what they say. And unfortunately, you can't really track everything that people do in Bitcoin uh, because it's relatively anonymous. Speaking of, Cynthia Lummis bought some more Bitcoin. Um, right. the, senator, the senator of Wyoming. 
She's using yeah. River. Shout out to River. Um, she, because she's a politician, has to disclose this. So she definitely has more than five Bitcoin now because she purchased between 50 and 100,000 worth. So, way to go, Senator Lamas. Uh, yeah, I think that the tipping point, even though I don't actually believe in there being a tipper tipping point for hyper Bitcoinization. But um, if there was a tipping point, it might be when Nancy Pelosi takes the position. Yeah, she's already got some. <laughs> she's Seriously. just on, she just like they created a special law in Congress where like Nancy Pelosi and a few other people, they don't have to disclose their Bitcoin holdings. You should really read through that 10,000 page document that they wrote. It's somewhere in there, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and back to Jorge real quick. Uh, eventually he'll be known as the man that broke the bank of fiat. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have joined him in that trade. <laughs> um, so Square's got uh, uh, more information about their hardware wallet coming out. Yeah, Square, man. You know, full disclosure, Square is the largest equity position that I own. Um, I also work for Casa, so I'm very, I'm very torn. Uh, all right. So Square, if you've heard of Cash App, Cash App is probably the easiest to use investing cash banking interface. Uh, you know, it was historically used to like buy drugs and like prostitution. As far as I know, like that's when I first heard about it, like a decade ago or so. But it's nowhere near that now. I mean, it's like a just like Venmo, everything else. You can buy stocks in it. You can send money to friends. You can buy Bitcoin in it. Um, you, you know, you can do limit orders now. So they've really like beefed up their suite and they launched Square Crypto, a subsidiary, uh, to develop hardware wallets to encourage self-custody of Bitcoin. So they released some more uh, information today. And I'm excited because Square, again, like has this user experience reputation of being awesome, like just effortless, very fluid, even for extreme beginners uh, and Cash App's no different. And so... I'm excited that they're launching this hardware wallet and they talked about some of their design principles in doing so this week. Uh, and they're going to be doing multi-sig, uh, which is exactly what we do at Casa. Uh, their multi-sig offering, uh, they just went into it a little bit. They didn't get like extremely into detail, but essentially the, the, the high level is they're going to have two different types of wallets. Uh, one will be sort of their, their checking account wallet, like a, uh, uh, a single signature wallet on your phone uh, for small balances. And then they'll have the hardware wallet that is a, you know, something like a flash drive paired with this phone app uh, and another key that they hold, which would be two of three multi-sig. And in doing so, if someone were to get your hardware wallet, they don't get your Bitcoin. If someone were to get your phone, they don't get your Bitcoin. If someone hacks Square, they don't get your Bitcoin. They've got to get two out of the three. So, that is exactly what we do at Casa too. And we've been doing it for years. So A, like amazing to see them confirm that what we're doing is a, you know, a necessary place in the market. Um, but B, you know, kind of like, uh, like, uh, man, they probably going to make it like really easy to do probably a little cheaper than what we do. So certainly, you know, but competition, like, although if you read Peter Thiel's book, zero to one, he says competition is the enemy of profitable businesses. Uh, it isn't the enemy for society and innovation as a whole. So, you know, as a CASA shareholder, I'm like a little not nervous, right? Because I, I think it's just going to push us to innovate even further. And maybe Square will just say, hell with this. Let's just buy CASA instead. But 
at the same time, like I think it's better for the use case for Bitcoin custody has got to improve. That's what we do at Casa. And it, I, I fully believe that Square is going to continue to push that forward on design uh, and security. Uh, so awesome to see that. Jack Dorsey's a rock star in my mind. Um, the only thing I disagree with him on is that they uh, they won't let Trump back on Twitter. I still like I, I, I don't even I'm not a fan of Trump. You've you've seen me like evolve over the last five years, like from when we first met. And I really wasn't a fan of him then. But I, I still think that, like, it violates some principles that I hold deeply in free speech and sort of like confusing, whereas Jack is like on the one hand, all about like empowerment and free speech and on the other hand. But then again, he says, like, Twitter's not really in his control anymore anyway. So, uh, yeah, anyway, good, amazing stuff to see out of Square both on the hardware side and the software side. I'm excited to see how Cash App blends that into their 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 product suite. Uh, and I think it's bullish for the company and the stock. So good. And for yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, you've, uh, I, I couldn't agree more on allowing Trump back on Twitter. It's, uh, you've seen me evolve too from someone that was very political to now I'm pretty apolitical. And um, right more libertarian tendencies and part of that is uh allowing free speech <laughs> at, at, at minimum it's amazing how like i think like i was like much further to the right and you were much further to the left and over these last like four or five years we've kind of both converged like to the center yeah. um probably why we got along even you know even when we did have more conflicting viewpoints um like, I think it was, uh, sorry for interrupting, but I think, I think it was Harry Suttick. Uh, I forget who said, but he said, basically, uh, you know, if you look at who's going to adopt Bitcoin, it's going to be liberals and conservatives and not Democrats and Republicans. And I like that. Yes. You know, I like looking at They're not, the, the, yeah. the, the root of, you know, what, uh, you know, the, the actual principles behind why people are political uh, you know, those principles are why Bitcoin will succeed. Uh, but the the politics that sit on the outer layer of that are detrimental to everyone. Yeah, you know, that makes me that makes sense. I know we weren't planning on talking about this, but Andrew Yang, uh, he came out and just like in that context, right, like revoked his affiliation with the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. uh, and then shortly thereafter was tweeting about Bitcoin. <laughs> so I don't know how his universal basic income will work with a Bitcoin standard, but it probably will. I think actually the only way that a universal basic income standard works is on a Bitcoin standard. In my mind, all jobs are eventually obsoleted. Human labor is obsoleted by technolo technology labor. Uh, and so there really isn't a need for us to work anymore. Like we just aren't that good at it. And because of that, if you're a, a, you know, a, a savvy investor or business person, why would you use more expensive fix, fixed costs or variable costs than you have to. So in my mind, like we're going to be in a world one day where nobody works and it UBI will have to be the case, but UBI can't work when your cash that you're giving out is a melting ice cube. UBI is going to be very challenging because you're not going to get very much. Uh, however, the beauty of Bitcoin is that it appreciates over time. So all you have to do is live within your means and you will compound your wealth. 
on top of yesterday. So interesting stuff that's going on, like in the political movement on top of Bitcoin and, you know, the Federal Reserve saying they're not banning it either. So, um, you know, we can segue into that or did we have another topic? Uh, that we wanted you know, to I wanted to, I wanted to circle back to, to Square real quick because I'm, I'm yeah. new on Cash Cash App and I just want, for all the listeners out there, if you want to refer your buddy to Cash App and you send your referral code and then um, to get the uh, $15 and $5 they give you at the onset, you can't send five dollars to the person that referred you and have them send five dollars right back to you. That doesn't work. The whole thing yeah, is null and void at that point. So um, they so got yeah, us. We tried, <laughs> and, and that was a combined twenty dollars. You would have bought fifteen dollars in Bitcoin. I would have bought five dollars in Bitcoin, and that's like going to be you know median income for an average American <laughs> maybe two three decades from now. <laughs> yeah. So get a third friend in on it. So like yeah. you could you could have sent. Five dollars to my mom or something, you know, and then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh well, we, we, now we know. So, listeners out there, make sure you have a trio for your cash app referrals. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, I guess you know, somewhat related. You know, talking about use cases uh, for multi-sig. Um, talk about the CoinDesk for financial advisors or um, Bitcoin for financial advisors. Yeah. So CoinDesk. It's a crypto magazine, not really specifically Bitcoin, but uh, they had a basically all day seminar geared towards Bitcoin for financial advisors. Um, now, while it was called Bitcoin for financial advisors, they did talk about crypto a good bit. So I think it was a little bit of a misnomer. Um, that being said, most people don't split hairs like that. That's just me being a maxi. So <laughs> I think that the, the takeaways I got were that there are roadblocks to adoption, both from a technical, like physical standpoint, like advisors don't want to custody clients' Bitcoin. They don't custody their stocks now. So why would they want to start custodying their Bitcoin, which has less room for error, right? Mm -hmm. That was one thing, more of like a physical, technical implementation hurdle. The other was more of a philosophical, kind of psychological barrier uh, that you are familiar with that it just is very different and it sort of undermines what is widely accepted as good advice in the investment industry. And so, uh, it, it, it takes a little bit of like warming up and additional education. And that's, you know, to be clear, like that's what the point of this whole thing was to like kind of get advisors thinking about this new asset. So I think that multi-sig is going to be a use case there, particularly um, because advisors are not going to want to hold the client's assets, but neither are the clients. And so what you're going to see is probably like a two of three or three of five setup with a party like Square or like Casa that goes to an institution. Casa or Square maybe holds one key. The institution holds one key and you know, the, the uh, individual holds another, you know, you would have to figure out like exactly which setup and permissions work. But like point is like there, there can't be really like a point of failure there. And there needs to be sort of outsourced security experts because financial advisors are not Bitcoin security experts. And once that is taken care of, that will clear the runway for much smoother and much faster adoption. So uh, that is, I think overall, like a bullish take, um, 
you know, there something like this what a couple of years ago would have probably had very few listeners at all. And so just overall good to see and places like on ramp invest are building tools to integrate to RA platforms. So you can like track the native assets uh, in there. So cool stuff. Um, still a long way to go, I think. And um, the ETF personally still to me seems further away than I think we hear. Um, but I'm hearing talks of like year end could be ETF approval for Bitcoin. I imagine Grayscale would be the first Bitcoin ETF to be approved. And yeah, so good, good event. Good event. I enjoyed it. Cool. Cool. Good stuff. Well, let's, uh, let's revisit the, uh, maxi toxic maxi debates, but let's do that after our boating accident of the week. All right, it's time for the boating accident of the week. Oh yeah, it's the boating accident, man. Uh, this week it's our buddy, Jay Powell. Head of the Fed. Infinite money at the Federal Reserve. Money go printer go burr. If you were the leader of a ship and that ship was sinking, you would probably want to tell your crew that the ship right across from you is about to blow up and there's like the sails are torn and you know, you wouldn't say like, Hey, that ship's perfectly fine. Don't worry. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did with Bitcoin. Uh, as the head of the fed, you know, they control the issuance of, of, of dollars similar to the, how we all, we all really, or really nobody controls the issuance of Bitcoin at this point, um, came out and said, no, we're not, we're not planning to ban crypto. Um, that's on the heels of Gary Gensler's investigation and a lot of these crypto securities, uh, but basically have all but said by Bitcoin. Like Gensler saying it, Powell isn't saying it, but he's saying don't buy the other stuff or Gensler saying don't buy the other stuff because that stuff's securities. But Bitcoin, no. And then Powell comes out and says, we're not banning crypto. Um, so I think that if you, you know, pop either he's conceding defeat, which is admirable, uh, or he just made a mistake in a policy because I mean, if you are trying to control, I mean, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, but if you're trying to control your people, you got to think that like they would try to clamp down on Bitcoin. It's not that it would work, but I'm, I'm almost surprised that he's just like, no, we're not going to ban it. Yeah, very interesting. And it's also good to remember Jerome Powell is not a career politician by any means. He's a practitioner first. He came, uh, right. came up with Goldman Sachs, his partner at Goldman Sachs. And um, so given his experience and where he sits um, as the, the chair of the Fed, Federal Reserve, I think he understands Bitcoin. I, I'd have to guess he does. <laughs> I, I'd have to guess he's been stacking, but uh, that's why he's our voting accident of the week. That's right, man. We're gonna have next. Maybe next week's will be, uh, or, or next episode will be all of Congress <laughs> when uh, when we don't hit the debt ceiling, <laughs> when we don't renew it, the country goes bankrupt for the I don't know millionth time. It's like we are definition bankrupt now. 
I don't know how people still lend credit to the United States. Why do we? I don't know. Military power, that's why. Guns. Military power. Violence. Method of control. Yeah. Bitcoin's a peaceful revolution. What mm. else we got, Bo? What else we got? So, I know we talked about it a little bit last week, but it seems like uh, the debate of how toxic is too toxic for Bitcoin maximalists has been uh, kind of front of everyone's minds. So, let's talk about that again. Um, I know my personal view is, and, and someone, you know, I kind of um, it, try to influence people for a living, you know. And I've learned, I was taught, and then I had learned by failing that um, typically everyone has to make decisions for themselves. Like you have to come to the right decision for yourself and no one else can make those decisions for you. And even if you say uh, you've, you've made a decision uh, consistent with you know, someone else's influencing, you don't have that same conviction um, that someone who made that decision themselves. Um, and I just think that, uh, for people that are coming into the space, you know, if they read what's going on in the mainstream media, they're going to basically get, uh, you know, Bitcoin bad, Cardano good. And they might come into the space like most people trading shit coins. And that's just the reality of it. And if we sit there and scream at them, um, I doubt that they're going to say, you know what, Bitcoin good, Cardano bad. Right. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, the, oh, yeah, the, I see why Bitcoin bad because all these people are like assholes. And, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that that's my take. I mean, I, I totally get where it comes from. Um, but yeah, w w what are your thoughts? I think like Bitcoin maximalism is like a, a worldview. So and it's one that's principled in, in in principles, really. Like, that's not a great description, but it's more about the principle than it is of, like, the action, I notice, from a lot of people. So take, like, the cold card thing, for example, right? Like, the guy forked open source software, principally open, Trezor didn't say anything. Maybe they did. I don't know. But. Then somebody else forked his, and now there's a big hole. You know, he got upset, and it's like, it's not necessarily like copying that's an issue, but it's more of like, what are your motivations? Like, and I think Bitcoin, hardcore Bitcoin maximalists take it to a point where they're like, anything that proliferates this sort of fiat mindset of copycat, I'm going to take what you did and steal it and do it better and make a profit off of it. I think it's like, it's more of just like a fundamental, like, this is why we're in this shit. And they just don't want, like, they don't want that to keep happening. So anybody who brings that sort of persona to the space, they just instantly, you know, shit on. Um, anybody who's trying to capitalize on other people's ignorance. Yeah. Same could be said for Bitcoiners, though, because by buying Bitcoin before everybody else, we are capitalizing on their ignorance. So I think that people are just going to like, there's a lot of assholes out there, whether Bitcoin or not, Bitcoiners or not. 
Um, the beauty of the Bitcoin protocol is that those people can't be shut down or see their money can't be seized because they're assholes. And so maybe because they don't have that threat looming over their head, they're a little more likely to be their inner self, which is a huge asshole, right? But um, I don't I don't think that most people in the Bitcoin space are like that. In fact, I think most people in the Bitcoin space are some of the nicest people I've met, genuine, because they're that same type of person, they're principled. So it's like, hey, if I say I'm going to, if I keep my word, I'm going to do something, I'm going to be there. Or if like, you know, it's, it's not about necessarily getting rich quick to, to, to at the expense of others. It's about lower time preference and, and, and being patient and building something on a sustainable framework. Uh, and so, you know, our friends there in the back, they're all about like, let's capitalize on the moment. Let's get rich while, as soon as we can at the expense of others. It doesn't matter. Like the, the man who broke the bank of England, right? That's not like a, a, a really good term that you want to be associated with. Like, doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy, I would imagine. But, you know, the, these Bitcoin maxis are, I mean, I am one, but I, I don't, I don't insult people because they don't understand. Now, if they promote altcoins maliciously or even like unknowingly, I will do what I can to stop it. But I don't condemn people because of their beliefs. At the worst, I'll just ignore them, I think is like more effective almost. But I try to tell people that are hardcore in Ethereum and stuff like, hey, dude, like I started out my crypto Bitcoin journey with ETH. Like I bought ETH and Bitcoin the same day. And, you know, so I don't, I don't like, I don't think it's like these people are lost and hopeless. And if you attack them, they're not gonna, they're just going to be reticent to, to listen to what you're saying. It doesn't matter what you're saying because they're like, ah, la, 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 I can't hear you. So yeah. that's why the whole it's ironic that Udi is like the guy that's like kind of shitting on Maxis when he's the one who came up with the saying, have fun staying poor and have fun staying poor. It, it, it's a good saying in that it evokes that exact. It's like, look, dude, I'm trying to teach you because I care. I mm-hmm. want to help you learn Bitcoin because it's so freaking important. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm spending my time, my energy, my effort to help you. You are fighting me on this. And I'm telling you, it's because of your deeply held inner beliefs that are misguided because of, it's not your fault. Like I had that too. And you are fighting me on this. And at a certain point, I don't have any more energy, dude have fun staying poor because you're not going to listen. So it's just channeling that like indifference. It's like, look, man, I don't know what to tell you anymore. Then maybe you'll figure it out on your own. Now, of course it's mean. It's to me, it's belittling. You know, I I used to say it. I don't really say it anymore, but, um, but that's where it comes from. And I don't think Bitcoin care like well it doesn't care. it's a protocol it's a it's information like the people who adopt it or don't adopt it it doesn't matter dude the protocol is yeah. gonna succeed it's gonna succeed the only difference is how fast it succeeds and that's based on like the the adoption but even that is mostly programmatic because once the supply shocks occur 
the the little soft feelings shit is going to go because hyperinflation doesn't care about your feelings. Neither does Jerome Powell, I would imagine. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I think it's important to start with questions, figure out where the person you're talking with is coming from. Uh, and I think that's going to give you the best opportunity to orange fill people. And if your true intention is to orange fill people, well, then I think you're a true Bitcoin, true Bitcoiner. Um, if you're, if your intention from the onset was to belittle them and make them feel like an idiot, um, you may own Bitcoin, but you're not a Bitcoiner. Yeah. I guess that's, that's my opinion. Yeah. Quick shout out to the two greatest investors of all time. I've got Jorge (laughs) over here. (laughs) Got Nancy. It's amazing what you can do when you have information before everybody else. Yep. That's what we're trying to do here at Value Stack. We have all this information <laughs> about Bitcoin's protocol, how it works, how it sits <laughs> atop the current monetary system. And we are trying to give this information to you earlier than the rest so that you mm-hmm. can be like Nancy and profit. Yep. Nancy's probably the greatest trader, Pelosi Capital Management, dude. Astounding track record. Watch out, Renaissance Technologies. Exactly. Or high-frequency traders ain't got nothing on inside info. You know, just in case our listeners don't know, Congress is allowed to legally trade with inside information and front-run. Just Congress. I fucking hate that. I, I, just I really Congress. Fucking hate that. Your, your governor, not allowed. Just Congress. It's crazy, dude. Rules for thee, not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is why we need Bitcoin. The peop- no one should be able to write rules and then set those rules and then those rules keep themselves in power perpetually. This bullshit. <laughs> We're going to get canceled. I love it. <laughs> Solid. Solid. Well, anything else, anything anything else? else on the agenda today? A little shorter no. than usual. Hit it in 38 minutes. Dude. 38 minutes. Well, yeah. I thought, I thought- yeah, that's about the, that's about normal. Normally, we've run like our shortest episode has been forty, about this, and our longest was an hour. So we've been hitting like, but most of them have been in the forty minute range. So we're uh, we're, we're hitting that pretty good. Yeah. Um, let's see, anything okay. else I want want to mention? So we got to get we're gonna have a speaker run here soon. Um, so keep keep hanging out. We gotta we gotta finalize those details, and uh. Yeah, we might start featuring some cultural segments. Um, I, I we were we were kind of joking like before, and we were just like, "Hey, let's play some like Latin music," and just like that's why Bo opened it with "Hola, cómo está." We were laughing, but you know, now now that my wheels have been spinning for thirty five minutes since then, I think it would be cool to have like a uh, to actually do that to like feature a culture but make it related to Bitcoin. So like, um, like feature a picture of like El Salvadorans using Bitcoin or like, um, you know, Ethiopia or like Nigeria or like some of these places where like they're really undergoing a, a much more severe inflationary environment. And, you know, cause I imagine most of our listeners, if not all of our listeners are, you know, Western Civ, like United States, Canada. And I think it'd be cool. Uh, to kind of highlight how this is not just a, a a United States or like a Western 
developed world thing. This is a everywhere thing. So, yep. Thoughts? yep, we're gonna the appropriation segment. I love it. Let's. Uh... <laughs> we're not calling it that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is not appropriate. Oh, uh, we uh... Uh, yeah, definitely canceled after that. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get canceled before we even got not canceled. So. Well, I've got to, I'm, I'm going to go get lunch with Nancy and Jorge. So um, I, I've got to run, but this was, this was a fun one, Zach. Yeah, man. Next one will be number 10, double digit episodes. Uh, and we'll probably be doing that a week or so before Taproot. So I know I just like kind of briefly mentioned it, but next episode we'll, we'll dive in like a little more into like what that, what that's going to mean and uh, what the hell Taproot all is. So. Thank you guys for listening. This has been Value Stack Episode 9. We'll see you next time. Nueve. Um, Have a (laughs) life's tight. Buy Bitcoin. Bye, everyone. Bye.